You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Live from our nation's capital, this is Bloomberg Sound On. No president should be able to sustain boots on the ground without congressional approval and without a clear explanation of what the mission is and what the end game is. This isn't really about the economic policy. This is about the coronavirus. Bloomberg Sound On. Politics, policy, and perspective from D.C.'s top names. We must use every tool possible to defeat this assault on women's reproductive rights. This is a steady growth that we're seeing here in our economy, you know, over the last three months. Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. A new week with the same old problems in Washington as President Biden warns of a possible credit default if lawmakers do not dance on the debt ceiling. And we are no closer to a deal on reconciliation today, which means no infrastructure. And we'll talk about it with Neil Bradley the chief policy officer at the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, out with a scathing statement on last week's lack of action. Supreme Court opens its new term with abortion, guns, and God on the agenda. We'll discuss it with Bloomberg's Greg Storr and distill it all this hour with the classic panel, Bloomberg Politics contributors Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis with us for the hour. We are still living through the three-ring circus that is infrastructure, reconciliation, and the debt ceiling. And on the latter, President Biden spoke to the nation today. You heard it live on Bloomberg Radio, issuing a warning and answering some important questions. We guarantee that the U.S. will not reach the debt ceiling, that that will not happen? No, I can't. That's up to Mitch McConnell. So it is possible that the U.S. will not pay its debts. That is possible. I can't believe that that will be the end result because the consequence is so dire. I don't believe that. But can I guarantee it? If I could, I would, but I can't. Speaking from the White House, where the president called on the GOP to get out of the way. We're not expecting Republicans to do their part. They made it clear from the beginning. We tried asking to no avail. We're just asking them not to use procedural tricks to block us from doing the job that they won't do. (coughs) Meteor is is headed to crash into our economy. Yes, he said a meteor headed to crash into our economy. And not long after, the majority leader in the Senate, Chuck Schumer, committed to bringing the House version of the debt ceiling bill to the Senate floor. I will soon file cloture on the House-passed proposal that will suspend the debt limit until December of 2022. We aren't asking Republicans to support it when it comes times for a vote. We only ask that they get out of the way as Democrats pass it on our own just as the majority party did in the early 2000s. It's really that simple. 
but of course it isn't. Knowing that Mitch McConnell is unlikely to budge, we'll find out together, but reconciliation still appears to be the most likely path for the ceiling. Now, President Biden is also trying to work through some big differences on infrastructure, both hard and human, and Democrats have not budged there either. White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki is says the president is talking with progressives today. The president is going to have uh, a virtual meeting with a number of progressive House members later this afternoon uh, in order to have a discussion about the path forward, which includes the recognition that this package is going to be smaller uh, than originally proposed. Uh, and what he wants to hear from them is what their priorities are, what their bottom lines are, so he can play a constructive role in moving things forward. About six weeks late, according to the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, and we're joined by the man who wrote a statement on this, Neil Bradley, Executive Vice President, Chief Policy Officer at the Chamber. Neil, welcome back to Bloomberg Radio. Thanks for having me. Just looking over your statement of Friday when there were a lot of questions, and there still are, of course, about the future of this debate over infrastructure, reconciliation, never mind the debt limit. You wrote, delay has consequences, and none of them are good for the American people. Are you worried that as Democrats pursue this dual-track approach that the entire effort may fail? I'm certainly concerned that uh, infrastructure bill may not become law. Our best chance uh, for enacting this bipartisan infrastructure bill was the vote that was supposed to occur in the House of Representatives uh, last week. Uh, Now, President Biden, Speaker Pelosi have made clear uh, that they're following the lead of House progressives here and that they're going to link it to a completely unacceptable, you know, multi-trillion dollar tax and spend reconciliation bill. So uh, once again, uh, Washington may squander its best chance to make long overdue investments in our infrastructure. Well, that would be a big deal. Of course, you know, if you ask the president who just spoke uh, a short time ago from the White House, he would tell you that we cannot pass infrastructure without reconciliation, and this is the game that we're in, Neil. Well, uh, it's a game that they've chosen, so we, uh, we clearly could have passed uh, the infrastructure bill. You know, we, we were short of the votes of where we needed to be, uh, but we should have been able to get there. You know, uh, I think it was uh, Senator Senema who made um, the, the excellent point that the idea that you're going to hold hostage and defeat a bill that you support in order to try to force other people to agree on a bill that they oppose um, is exactly the wrong strategy. Frankly, it's the type of thinking that's gotten us into, into these messes in Washington in the first place. Um, and you know they've, they've chosen to go down the wrong path. You're right. This bill should have been enacted six years ago. There was a chance to enact it six weeks ago. But at that point, Democratic leaders said, we don't have the votes. Progressives were, uh, progressives were protesting the lack of a reconciliation bill. Is it your view, then, that Democrats should have worked with Republicans on a standalone infrastructure bill as they did in the Senate? They absolutely should have. And Republicans and Democrats in the House uh, should have come together. And we should have had the same type of bipartisan support for the exact same bill that we had in the Senate. Uh, in the House. And, you know, I think there was an opportunity to do that uh, right before uh, Labor Day. We should have taken the opportunity to do it uh, then. We should have been able to do it last week, uh, but there is uh, zero indication uh, that this is going to get any easier. Uh, If anything, we're moving further away uh, from an infrastructure bill getting done, not closer. Well, that's, uh, that's problematic to hear you say that, at least if you're concerned about Roads, bridges, tunnels, et cetera, Neil. What can the chamber do then 
as leaders fire off letters and lawmakers get on TV to debate this stuff in public? What can you do to try to bring parties together here? Well, I, I think the you know the first thing is is that uh, these the reconciliation bill and the infrastructure bill need to be delinked uh, again. We need to sever this this linkage. Both bills should get uh, voted on based on their merits, uh, and if one has the votes to pass, it should pass, and uh, and we should go from there. I think that's perhaps the most constructive way kind of forward at the moment. But what we saw last week uh, was hostage taking. You know, taking something that the country needs. And holding it hostage uh, because the progressives were fearful that they wouldn't get people to uh, change their positions on the reconciliation bill. How do you get to the leadership on this then? Are you running ads? Are you making phone calls? Are you sending lobbyists to the Hill or is it all of the above? Uh, It it is certainly all of the above. um, And, you know, we will continue to advocate for the bipartisan infrastructure bill and we'll continue to advocate against this reckless reconciliation bill. And so, um, you know, if they insist on linking them, uh, which is what they did on Friday night, if they continue to insist on that, I think the most likely outcome is that neither bill becomes law. Uh, and we'll, we will forego uh, what was an historic opportunity to make progress in our nation. To be clear, though, Neil, and I could play the cut here, I'm kind of known for pulling it out in the middle of these conversations. Yeah. Nancy Pelosi in June saying there ain't, using the word ain't going to be no infrastructure unless and until the Senate passes reconciliation. Should this not have been managed back in June when Democratic leaders were talking about tying these together? Well, it should have been, and in many ways it was. If you'll remember, on June 24th, the president, uh, after meeting with the bipartisan group in the Senate who put the infrastructure bill together, had a press conference. And in the course of taking questions, key linked enactment of the infrastructure bill to the reconciliation bill. And, you know, the the Republican senators and, frankly, some of the Democratic senators, as well as groups like the chamber who support the infrastructure bill but oppose reconciliation, howled in protest. Mm -hmm. Two days later, the the president issued a pretty unprecedented statement where he walked that back and he said, we should judge each one on the merits that he's going to fight for reconciliation. But he understands that Republicans and others may fight him on that standalone bill. And so that was the track that the president put us on on June 26. Uh, we should have stayed on that track. We shouldn't have backtracked on Friday. Of course, Joe Biden is not holding the gavel here. Uh, Neil, is is the White House being led by the progressive wing of the Democratic Party? Well, uh, I, I think that... Um, uh, what what should have happened uh, last week was a rallying together to pass this infrastructure bill. Uh, that clearly didn't happen. And, um, you know, I think that that is the unfortunate reality. I want to ask you quickly about the debt limit. The president speaking about that today as well, asking Republicans to step aside and actually telling people, uh, those who were watching at home, that their retirement accounts could begin shrinking as a result as soon as this week. Have you do you feel like you've seen this movie before and you expect this is going to be resolved? You're actually getting worried, Neil. Uh, well, we have seen this movie before. Um, it's it's never a great show. You know, the truth is, is that uh, the United States can never default on its legal obligations mm-hmm. uh, to do so would have catastrophic economic consequences. Um, you know, the interesting thing is that the debate that seems to be going on in Washington now uh, isn't so much about in, whether or not the debt limit will be increased, but the process, the legislative process right. 
uh, that uh, legislators will use to actually increase the debt limit. Neil Bradley at the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, we thank you for being with us. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. The headline on the terminal, Biden warns of default. McConnell firm on halting debt limit fix. Indeed. You heard the president compare the debt limit to a meteor crashing into our economy. And, of course, you've heard Mitch McConnell say for weeks that his party will not get involved. So, until further notice, we are dancing on the debt ceiling. You are risking the full faith and credit of the United States to play a nasty political game. Republicans in Congress are treating this like a game. Let me give you some examples. Senator Rick Scott, and this is a real quote, I will note. This is going to be a ball. I'm going to have so much fun. That's about the debt limit. The Republican leader in the Senate, Mitch McConnell, is playing games with a loaded weapon here. He has demanded that the filibuster be applied to the debt seat. Clumsy attempts at partisan jams by the majority will not change that reality. We have uh, a great respect for the sanctity of the debt ceiling. Chuck does and Nancy does and we all do. So uh, that will never be a problem. Debt ceiling will never be a problem. We must raise the debt ceiling. We cannot allow America to default. Bipartisanship is not a light switch. May as well dance through it, right? You can thank me later when you're laying in bed with that earworm. As we dance on the ceiling with the panel, Rick and Jeannie are here for the hour Bloomberg politics contributors, Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis. Thought we'd spin back a little bit for you there. Nothing too contemporary because we've got very contemporary problems here. Jeannie, thanks for being with us. I wonder what you made of Joe Biden's comments today as he addressed the nation and could not guarantee that we would not have a default. First of all, Lionel Richie makes this all seem so much brighter and better. So I am dancing in my seat always. (laughs) It's a good way to start a Monday. But the president's (laughs) remarks, you know, about the meteorite, um, they are really chilling. Uh, You know, I think uh, we heard earlier uh, on Bloomberg somebody compare this to, you know, a a staring contest, a game of chicken between Mitch McConnell and Chuck Schumer. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly what we are at. But of course, the problem here is there is a time 
time limit. It's, you know, we keep hearing October 18th, and that's absolutely right, but it's a process that has to get moving soon. And now we're hearing that Chuck Schumer is going to call another vote this week. What is the impact on the markets of another failed vote this week? And I can't, I can't think, maybe you or Rick can think of an example of when Mitch McConnell has said he would do something or not do, do something and gone back on his word. So I, I do think we're in a very t- dangerous position at this point. Yeah, Rick, Democrats keep mentioning Merrick Garland. Remember, everybody, he never did budge on that. How would this be different? It's not going to be different. I mean, <laughs> Jeannie is exactly right. I mean, the one thing that you can actually count on is that if Mitch McConnell says no, he means no. Uh, and he's he's been very plain and spoken about this. Uh, there is going to be a failure of this vote he's, uh, uh, that's in the Senate this week because it requires cloture, which requires 60 votes. They're not going to break the filibuster. Republicans aren't going to join to pass it. And, and so we'll have spent a week ticking away at this clock toward October 18th without any progress. Uh, yeah. it's, it's phenomenal to me that 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 the administration actually added gasoline to the fire today with with President Biden's comments, because rather than trying to take some of the heat off, they seem to be kind of pouring more heat on. And I don't see how that's going to resolve anything. It was interesting, Jeannie, to to watch and listen to the president work. He was not talking to the Washington circle here, right? It really wasn't for Mitch McConnell. He was trying to speak to people in their living rooms and try to bring this home in everyday terms. Ed, even before the default date, People may see the value of their retirement accounts shrink. They may see interest rates go up, which will ultimately raise their mortgage payments and car payments. And the American people, look, I just say it this way. As soon as this week, your savings and your your, uh, pocketbook could be directly impacted by this Republican stunt. Does that work, Jeannie, or is the president assuming people are watching when they're out living their lives? Well, this is what I have been, you know, sort of confused by coming out of the White House on this and and the and the Democratic leaders in in Congress, particularly Chuck Schumer. I don't think the American public are paying as much attention as they may think. And you're absolutely the right. The president trying to speak to Americans. He's right on what could potentially happen. But I think the reality, as you go back and look at these sort of games we've seen over this over the last decade, is that there is very little political benefit for the White House or the Democrats on this. The fact is they have the votes to move this forward. They could have done it and they could have refocused attention on infrastructure. You know, I think what they are trying to say is they are trying to ensure that the business community, financial markets, others begin to put heat on Republicans and maybe enough of them, maybe 10, although I doubt it, go with them Mm -hmm. and they get the vote. But, But it's such an unlikely scenario. I don't see the benefit for the White House or Democrats on doing this. So you mentioned uh, another week wasted here, Rick. We could have done this two weeks ago, of course, right, when it was first put together with the with the debt ceiling on the government funding bill. Are they going to make it? You know, I think they'll make it. I think there's there are two things, right? There's a Washington game, which is what's actually going to happen to get the debt ceiling raised. Yeah. And, and that's a mechanical exercise. Uh, if the Democrats put it through reconciliation, it'll pass in two weeks. That's not hard. If they continue to try and take it out to the public, it'll be confusing and it won't add to the success of this administration raising the debt ceiling. At the Supreme Court today, the first courtroom argument since March of 2020. As I read from Bloomberg's Greg Store, the U.S. Supreme Court heard arguments in person for the first time in 19 months, kicking off a new term as never before in a quarter-filled courtroom with piped-in questions from a quarantining justice. 
That's how you write a lead. Greg, thanks for being with us, as always. Been looking forward to this conversation, as you also write. Abortion, guns, and God on the agenda here. The Texas abortion law is the one I think most people are familiar with, but it's Mississippi we're looking at here in the U.S. Supreme Court. How about we start there and that particular case, as the court will consider a case that could slash reproductive rights nationwide and even asks justices to overturn Roe v. Wade. This is a big deal this session. Yeah, it's a huge deal, Joe. Um, it's a case that's going to be argued December the 1st. Mississippi's law bans abortion after 15 weeks of pregnancy. While that's not as strict as the Texas law, that is much stricter than anything the Supreme Court has upheld before. Uh, and Mississippi asked the court not only to uphold their law, but also, as you, as you suggest, overturn the Roe v. Wade uh, decision from 1973 that legalized abortion nationwide. The court doesn't have to go that far, but even if it does uphold this law, it is certainly going to be open season for other uh, Republican-controlled states to uh, put their own abortion restrictions in place. Of course, a lot of states have been uh, acting preemptively and even were during the Trump administration to create laws of their own. Uh, Would those survive a ruling by the Supreme Court? Some of them will. Um, some of them will re- survive uh, regardless of how this case comes out. Yep. Yeah, th- those laws sort of span the uh, cover the spectrum from laws that would completely abolish abortion, some that uh, automatically kick in if Roe v. Wade is overturned, uh, and then other states have bans at various points during pregnancy. There are laws that bar selective abortions, uh, all manner of, of uh, additional restrictions. And so it just kind of depends on how far the Supreme Court goes. The broad consensus is that um, abortion rights is in trouble. There's a really good chance that that law will be upheld. It's just a question of how far the court goes in upholding it. I'll ask you about some of the other items on the agenda here, Greg, but just the, the nature of this term is is something unusual. As you wrote, a quarter-filled courtroom and uh, piped in questions from a quarantining justice. Uh, are we to believe that Brett Kavanaugh is going to be all right? He's, he's tested positive, but no symptoms, right? Yeah, that's what we're told. Um, he, and he's going to be home for, for a week. Um, and uh, uh, if all goes well, one would exp- I would expect to see him on the bench next week. Uh, he, he sounded perfectly fine in asking the questions. They were, uh, you know, came through the, the speaker system there. He was on, on phone. Mm-hmm. Um, every indication is that unless there's, a, you know, a, another positive test for somebody on the court, that they'll go back to something a little uh, closer to nor- normal, at least as far as he's concerned. The room includes 75 people, mostly mask-wearing reporters and law clerks in designated well-spaced seats, in the section of the courtroom normally reserved for the public, would that have happened either way, or is that because of Kavanaugh? No, that would have happened either way. Uh, in fact, they announced this beforehand. Uh, it was The session was closed to the public. The press members who were allowed in were only those of us who cover the court on a regular basis. There's about mm-hmm. 27 of us that have Supreme Court passes. Uh, all the law clerks were there. Um, it, it was sort of a strange uh, situation. It was both uh, very, very familiar uh, and kind of jarringly different. Uh, it was a different spot from where uh, we in the press are used to sitting. Uh, the, the lawyers, as they were arguing, were uh, a lot farther away from the justices than they normally are. Uh, and then, of course, you had for the first time ever a justice piping in via telephone. Sounds entirely awkward, I have to admit. Uh, guns, religion, federal regulation you write, could add cases as well on affirmative action, redistricting, and 
the president's vaccine mandate. With what we know, with what's already on the docket, Greg, what's important for our listeners to know about in terms of guns and God? Well, guns, there's one very big case that has to do with uh, a New York law that, that makes it very difficult for most people to get a permit to carry a weapon in public. The Supreme Court has never said that the Second Amendment applies outside the home. Uh, this looks to be the case where the conservative majority is going to do that, uh, and it could well strike down New York's law and, and say that everybody, or at least the, the average person, uh, has a right to get a permit to carry a weapon for purposes of self-defense. In terms of, of God, there are multiple cases that the, the court has at this point. They include a school funding case out of Maine. Uh, they uh, include a case of an inmate who wants to, who's going to be executed, wants to have his uh, a pastor in the death chamber, not just there, but also praying out loud and laying hands on the inmate at the moment of the lethal injection. And this is a, a Supreme Court that has really bolstered religious rights already in the past several terms, and uh, the court is certainly showing even more eagerness to take up more cases and, and further buttress uh, religious rights under the Constitution. I have to ask you about Jahar Zarnayev, which is uh, a name I unfortunately had to uh, say on the air a lot of times when I was reporting in Boston. The court will consider a Justice Department bid to reinstate the death sentence for Zarnayev, convicted in the Boston Marathon bombing. Yeah, so this is, it, this is a case where there was some question about how the Biden administration would handle this, because the president uh, ha has uh, said that he's, he's troubled by federal executions. Yeah. The Justice Department is continuing to defend this sentence and seek to have it reinstated. There are two issues in the case. Um, uh, one is the issue of uh, whether jurors should have been questioned more specifically about what media they consumed uh, in advance of the trial. The, the, the argument by, um, by the defendant's lawyers is that uh, he, he didn't get a fair trial because um, it just wasn't possible, um, uh, or, or at least we don't know enough about what the jurors uh, thought about the case. Greg, I'm sorry we're out of time. They'll also, by the way, looking be looking at whether the, the judge should have allowed evidence involving a previous crime. Greg Storr with us. This is Bloomberg. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. So the Supremes are off and running on their new term, as we just discussed with Greg Storr, and some big issues, including the Mississippi abortion case that asks the justices to overturn Roe v. Wade. And that's where we pick up here with the panel, Bloomberg Politics contributors Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis back with us for the rest of the hour. Rick, this case and others, including the first major gun case to be heard by the court in about a decade, as we learned from Greg, could make some real problems for the Democratic agenda if the court shows its conservative stripes this year. Yeah, there's no question that this could be a real pace setter year for the for the court. Obviously, with a six-vote uh, advantage amongst Republican-appointed uh, justices, yeah. uh, it's pretty heavily weighted. And, and it's interesting, um, uh, Democratic-appointed uh, Justice Breyer says, judicial philosophy outweighs partisan political association. But what if it's the same? <laughs> and I think that's what you have here. You're going to have a lot of people whose judicial philosophies actually echo the Republican Party's philosophy. Mm -hmm. and, and you're going to see some pretty interesting outcomes for some very, very 
uh, sensitive social and uh, political issues in this year's court. Where does the court fall on Roe v. Wade before I ask Jeannie? Oh, I think that uh, especially led by Amy Comey Barrett, uh, uh, there's, there's the potential for an attack. And, uh, and I think actually the chairman, Roberts, is the one uh, who could probably bring more balance to the court on this issue since he doesn't like to look at overturning precedents. That's the role he's come to play here, Jeannie. Do you see the Supreme Court overturning Roe v. Wade? It is a possibility. I don't think we know at this point. And certainly Justice, Chief Justice Roberts has given an inclination that he puts the institution and the legitimacy of the institution above other things. But he is not alone. You know, you mentioned Justice Kavanaugh being quarantined. Mm -hmm. He now has pushed Chief Justice Roberts out of that middle position. He is now firmly the swing vote on the court. He was with the majority in all but two cases last term behind him Roberts and all but four, and behind him Amy Coney Barrett. She didn't hear as many cases, obviously, but she was third in line. So if those two or three could hang together, we may not get an overturning of something like Roe, but it's hard to tell. And of course, we're talking about this in the context of the Supreme Court, but I think it's important to mention just recently, Joe Manchin has said he wants the Hyde Amendment kept in this reconciliation bill. That's a no-go right. for Democrats That's raising right. abortion in that context as well. Well, let's get into this. I, I was really taken by, and I, I heard that a part of the conversation with Pramila Jayapal, who said that's a non-starter. She was, uh, I believe, on CNN yesterday. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez turned up on Face the Nation. The progressives, Rick, were the ones out on Sunday morning television, certainly outnumbering moderates in their arguing uh, for the reconciliation bill and, and also showing a little more sunlight than I've heard, frankly, yet. Certainly in the case of AOC, suggesting that, well, it might be shrinking the timeline on these issues. Maybe we're open to lowering the price tags as opposed to jettisoning, you know, jettisoning entire issues and, like child care or, or uh, universal pre-K. Did, did you see any light come into this conversation, this debate in these interviews yesterday, or are we still where we were on Friday? Yeah, no, I think it's a actually we're in, uh, in worse shape if you actually want to see a deal <laughs> okay. because this was their victory lap, right? I mean, they, they stopped Nancy Pelosi from shoving infrastructure through the House. Mm. And and it's not often you can actually say that you can stop Nancy Pelosi. She is a, you know, a hurricane when it comes to uh, getting things done. And mm -hmm. so uh, that's why they all went out and they wanted to frame it on their terms. And, and yet that doesn't help actually bring the party together because all they're talking about is bringing Democrats together. And when you have one faction of that, a minority faction out declaring victory against the leadership and the rank and file of their party, uh, it's, it's only going to create more bad feelings. So, yeah, maybe a little daylight in that they're willing to negotiate, but I, I can't even imagine what that number is since they've they already said this weekend that they've come down from the five trillion dollar mark that they started six, at to get yeah. to three and a half. Yeah, right. six. And that and one and a half is a non-starter. I suspect that you both have seen by now the viral video of uh, Senator Cinema, Kirsten Cinema, uh, being berated in her classroom and then in the bathroom uh, by a group of uh, protesters, progressive protesters, or I guess are part of this group, and you're probably familiar with them, uh, Rick, Living United for Change in Arizona. This is audio from the video that went viral. We knocked on doors for you to get you elected. And just this is inside the bathroom get you out of office if you at don't Arizona State. What you promised us. 
Kirsten Cinema went into the stall to do her business as these people are filming. There we go. And the sound of the results there. President Biden was asked about it today. I don't think they're appropriate tactics, but it happens to everybody. From the, <laughs> the only people it doesn't happen to are people who have Secret Service standing around them. Um, so uh, it's, it's, it's part of the process. Part of the process. I don't know if the senator would agree, but Press Secretary Jen Psaki was asked about this, if we really meant to say it that way, following the president's address. Her classroom, her students, uh, and, and the safe and intellectually stimulating environment she's worked to create during the years she's t of teaching at, at ASU were, was breached. That's inappropriate and unacceptable. And I think the context of what happened here is important, despite the fact that, of course, we stand for, the president stands for, the fundamental right of people to protest. Why not just condemn that kind of behavior, Jeannie? Did the White House do that right? Is it worth stopping down to kind of reinforce people's right to demonstrate? Well, you know, I think the reason is, is what Joe Biden said earlier, is that two people are standing in the way of him achieving his agenda. So, you know, you know, he did on the one hand say that he doesn't, you know, this isn't something that he supports and, and so on and so forth. But he also sort of just brushed it aside and said that it happens to the best of us. And yeah. the reality is for Joe Biden, Kristen Cinema, Joe Manchin are standing in the way. He's very clear of him achieving his agenda. And so I think, you know, they want pressure. The White House wants pressure put on these senators. They want them to feel the heat and get on board. And so I think the president responded that way. I don't think it's the way I would have advised responding, but he responded, I think, the way, as Joe Biden does, he actually felt. Yeah. Well, Rick, this uh, has been an issue uh, largely for conservatives, really, over the last couple of years in the Trump administration. And, in, in, for instance, in the Kavanaugh hearings, we remember people being shouted down, Jeff Flake in an elevator, Ted Cruz at a restaurant. Is, this, is, this is what we do, is, as President Biden said, part of the process now? Well, I think it's part of the process that has deteriorated. And, and I was disappointed that this president, who is trying to bring more uh, stature to the office, uh, didn't go out of his way to try and bring it back to some kind of equilibrium. Uh, you're, he's right. Every, if you're in politics, you're going to get protested. Uh, but it doesn't mean that there isn't a right place and right time to do it. And, and people getting chased through airports or into bathrooms is inappropriate behavior. Uh, it redefines potty mouth. And, uh, mm. and I, think that, uh, I think that this president missed an opportunity to do what John McCain used to do all the time, which is point out uh, when you have an opportunity uh, that uh, some things just aren't appropriate. Yeah, just back off from the stall. I mean, this is beyond uh, people walking into a restaurant here. By the way, uh, the part that you did not see was uh, Senator Cinema coming out of the stall, washing her hands and leaving the bathroom without saying a word. Pretty stoic uh, in that particular instance, Jeannie. She was, and, and that's how she has been pretty much all along. She she is a very, very independently minded Democrat, as we know, and she, you know, has a, a perplexed Democrats across the board. I mean, I'm sure you you saw the clips from Saturday Night Live over this weekend <laughs> where they're portraying her in a way many Democrats seem to view her as, you know, something, some somebody that they don't quite understand. They're not sure what she wants out of this deal. And of course, she does not famously does not talk to the press. That's right. So let's talk about where we are with all of this. Rick, you just gave us a sense of where uh, of where you are uh, with regard to infrastructure and reconciliation. Uh, what are we going to see between now and Halloween? I do find it amazing that the speaker chose the 
<laughs> the 31st of October for our deadline, but it says we need to get it done long before then. At a certain point, do we cross the line, Rick Davis, the point of no return? I mean, how many more weeks can this really be managed? Well, I think especially on the debt ceiling, you're already at the deadline, right? That's I mean, for if, sure. If we have to get this done by the middle of October and it's going to take two weeks on reconciliation and, and, and the effort tonight that the uh, majority leader in the Senate is trying to do to get cloture is going to fail. Does that sideline the infrastructure debate? Uh, I, I think that's why the uh, speaker picked October 31st, even though it is a little odd to be on Halloween, uh, is uh, to give it a couple weeks after the uh, hopeful, successful uh, 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 effort to try and raise the debt limit. So I can see some effort in trying to sequence these things, but then sequence them, do one after the other. They need a victory on on this debt ceiling so that the public can actually focus in on the campaign they're trying to wage to pass uh, these massive spending bills. And so get out of your own way and get this yeah. debt ceiling done. Felt like a big crescendo the end of last week with infrastructure and reconciliation, Jeannie, without uh, anything coming of it. When does this get real again, and how much time does Nancy Pelosi actually have? You know, I think Nancy Pelosi wanted this vote last week. I think Ron Klain and others put it off for her, as did the president, and so she's now set this new Halloween deadline. So we'll have to wait and see. I hope you're going to be in costume, Joe Matthew, when that happens. <laughs> we'll be doing the Monster Mash as that debate goes, and don't give me any ideas. Rick and Jeannie, always great for the full hour, our classic panel. We'll check traffic and markets ahead. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.